So Mary, I wanted to talk to you about a really important event that's happening this month. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to hear it. So to do that, I just want to paraphrase the words of someone we both really admire. Okay. So here's what I want to tell you. We choose to make a podcast. We choose to make a podcast in this decade and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one that we are unwilling to postpone and which we intend to win. What's happening? I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the JFK speech about going to the moon. Because I watched That's it three amazing. times. I watched it three times today. I thought you hate him. I heard that you hate space. No, it's not his fault. <laughs> he would have taken us there. That was the whole point of that speech. I know, but he knew it wasn't actually realistic. That's why I love the speech. Oh, because um, it's just about like the climb, but it's not yeah, really about space. It's it's definitely about the climb. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. We might even say happy birthday, Josefina. I am Mary, and this is the American Girl podcast where we're reliving the American Girl books one book at a time. And I'm Allison. I'm very thrilled to be celebrating Josefina's birthday today. You just offered us some low-key JFK cosplay, and I'm still moved by it. And people who follow me on Instagram may know that I did have a freak out last week about all of this moon landing capitalism that's jumping off because Facebook recommended a $500 pair of sneakers to me that look like the surface of the moon. And I will say that while I am outraged that they would create such a product and sell it for that much, I do want those sneakers. I hope that Oreo is doing well because they've also been capitalizing. And if they're listening, we would love a sponsorship. Please. I I do feel like JFK would support that as well. Yeah, I think he'd be with us. He didn't really understand finance, but, you know, someone who was living off, I believe, a $500,000 trust fund. But, you know, I think he would support our ambition just as he supported our national ambition to go to the moon. And one of our did one of our listeners did slide into my DMs and let me know after that story that she had tried those Oreos and that they were just okay. They were basically Oreos. But, you know, I respect but that that's feedback. that's fine. That's sort of like okay pizza. You still had pizza. That's true. I will accept any pizza from any place at any time. Except Hawaiian pizza. I don't do pineapple on pizza, as you know. That's a that's a cultural divide that we're bridging. I would yeah. say like what has Hawaiian pizza ever done to you? You know, that's a fair question. And we did have a, a very good friend of ours stay with us this past weekend and that did come up and I, I jokingly be ordering pizza. I was like anything but that and she stared at me because she that's her favorite kind of pizza. I did not know that. I didn't think that was out in the wild. I didn't think I would meet that. You know, we had to build through it just like you and me, trying to work through all these like really serious differences. We exist among you. And honestly, it's something that once people learn it about you, it's hard to unlearn, but it's part of who we are. Yeah. You know, it's just you have to sit people down and ask them to meet you where you're at and work through it and all those hard things. So Allison, as we gather here to talk about a truly ridiculous book, literally I threw this across the room last night. I was reading this at approximately 11 p.m. Before we get into that, and I do have a lot to say this week, I need to just know how you're doing. You know, I'm doing great. Like I was doing kind of a a cultural whip count before we got started and I was like, 
we've been enjoying a lot of good products lately, mm-hmm. right? We're gearing up for a friend weekend. We do have other friends and that's going to be really exciting. It might involve Emily Dickinson's dress and a Victorian murder mystery. The latter is guaranteed. You know, I'm enjoying a lot of things. We've both been getting into confronting OJ. <sighs> I am so deeply into this podcast. Uh, Actually, a young person recommended this to me, a youth, you might say, and I pass it along to you, and then I started listening to it. And all I can say is, so the premise of it is Kim Goldman, Ron Goldman's sister, hosts this show, and she is confronting people associated with the OJ trial, um, including jurors, Marsha Clark, you name it, everyone involved. She even has her, also she has like a co-host, co-producer named Nancy, who's a reporter. I love her. Nancy's wonderful. They both are. They're both great. All I want to say is I would be Kim Goldman's friend tomorrow. I would too. And when she seamlessly slides into her ads for various hair <laughs> products, she does though. She it's says- so It's so like haunting because you don't see it coming. And then I'm like, wait a second, are we talking about your hair? Like what's happening here? Like if you're hosting a prestige true crime podcast and you don't have an alarm company sponsoring you, it's like, that's an alarm for me. Most of them also get certain hair products. They are not sponsoring us, so we won't name them. She's like, my hair is part of who I am. I'm yeah, like, girl, same. it's her identity. And I was like, you know what? I flash back to the years I had bangs, which frankly were too many years. But it was like, yeah, I, I relate to this on a cellular level. And I just caught up today. I was driving home and I was reflecting on that podcast and this these books. And I really was thinking there is a connection. I do feel like this podcast came into my life at the same moment that Josefina did because both of these are obsessed with grief and people moving through grief in very different ways. Allison, you're laughing, but it's true. Stay with me on this. Hold on a second. Josefina is moving through her grief by basically calling herself a healer and many other things that we will get into. A lot of dangerous behavior in this book. Meanwhile, Kim Goldman, in the fullness of time, 25 years past the tragic loss of her brother, I am so impressed with this show on a serious note because she clearly is someone for whom her grief is very palpable. But she is sitting with these people who in some cases voted... um, that OJ was innocent in the criminal trial. And she has such incredible empathy for them in these conversations where one of the jurors starts crying because he was like, I remember looking at you when they announced the verdict and I couldn't, I had to get out of there. And she basically is like, yes, that must have been very difficult for you. And I, I would be like throwing plates against the wall if I was in a room with this guy. Yeah, it's sort of the complete opposite end of the spectrum of Josefina's family, who seems to be basically living by themselves, more or less, in the world. Like, there's actually Mm -hmm. very little community contact of any kind. Cut to Kim Goldman and the other families involved, like Nicole Brown's family, to a large degree, like, they had to live this so publicly, they barely got the information before the rest of the world. I will say... Is there not a parallel between the Bronco chase and whatever Tia Dolores was claiming that trip on the Camino Real was? It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And also, Josefina has to live with the trauma of having an aunt who's a murderer and having to live under the same roof and watching Tia Dolores' long con play out before her eyes. Whereas Kim Goldman, at least, has like a very intense relationship with her dad, who seems by all accounts to be a very nice person. And she was very close to her brother. And so for her, it's like she's grieving a loss. Josefina is grieving a loss and also dealing with like my stepmom, the serial killer. Someone tagged us in an Instagram story and the hashtag underneath it was Tia Dolores did it. She sure did. 
And I want people to take that energy, not just into their readings or rereadings of these texts, but like figure out who the Tia Dolores is in your life. Wow. Because I don't even know where to start. What if it's me? I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you think about it, Tia Dolores did it. You and I both, I believe it was your class, you invited me to guest lecture on If I Did It, the O.J. Simpson <laughs> memoir. Was it your class? Okay, I don't think I invited you to lecture on that, but you just took it there. Like, you were not, you were for sure not asked to speak about If I Did It by O.J. Simpson. But it I'm ended sure. up being about that. Yes, and it ended up being about that and like air, the, the Building 7 thing. <laughs> Remember the student was like, well, you guys know about Building 7 and 9-11. Of course we do. But no, so what did what did you ask me to talk about? I, I'm really trying to think right now. I'm trying to think uh, how we justified that. You were at a conference or something. Yes. And you, you stepped in for me. But wait a second. I also remember you coming when I was there. Because then we were walking on campus and we saw that someone had painted like a Building 7 tribute on a like overpass and we were like oh my god it's everywhere so i know that i called the lecture if we did it because it was about like the cultural creation of that moment i don't know how we pretended okay this was justifiable i think i was teaching the second half of the u.s survey and you did cover for me when we got to the 90s yeah and you i think we're like i think i kind of kept it pretty open-ended and was like i want to talk about race and something else and you were like, yep, no problem. I'm taking them to OJ. I think that sounds right. And I do remember your PowerPoint saying if we did it, which well, was powerful. Th- we're all I'm implicated. No- yeah, I'm trying to remember. I I mean, no one asked for a refund, so. Yeah, I wasn't worried. I knew you would do well. You know, these are the kind of teaching experiences people get with us, you know. Yeah, I mean, now you don't even need to be in an institution of higher learning. We're just here for yeah, you. Yeah, we're just here. You get this for free now. Well, for free for now. For now, indeed. For now, yeah, until we, you know, cut a huge advertising check. You've been watching other stuff, though. I know that I have not been watching. Yes. Um, I'll just say the exact title of the lecture was If We Did It, Race, Violence, and OJ. It was topical. It was. Anyway, so a few other things. I've been dying to talk about Chernobyl because I thought it was one of the better things to be on television. I haven't gotten into Big Little Lies yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about that as a group. We have a very good friend who does Big Little Lies recaps on her Instagram stories, and now I'm an entire season behind, but I'm so happy for her doing these recaps that I feel like I'm part of it. Same. And also, hey, Winnie, happy birthday. I know you're a Aww. listener of the show. It's her birthday soon. Leo season. Um, so you are re-watching Sopranos, <laughs> and I'm on the latest season of Stranger Things, so we're both just kind of doing nostalgia in different ways right now basically i the day that our last episode came out i fell down my parents basement stairs and like fell directly onto my back so i was in bed for a couple of days and you know when things are spiraling for me i don't seek stories of hope instead i was like okay uh, an anonymous donor an angel investor gifted me an hbo go password (laughs) Allison's dying. And I basically, you know, it felt serendipitous. I just got a book out of the library called The Soprano Sessions, which is a kind of recap and meditation on the show. Allison and I have watched the show together and it kind of took over our lives the first time around. And I've been itching to rewatch it. So that kind of became the moment for me. And I just finished season one and I am in very intensely 
And I'm seeing like Tia Dolores vibes everywhere. When you're in graduate school and or any job in your 20s that does not feel like it has any kind of movement other than lateral, I think The Sopranos reaches you in a really particular way because you convince yourself (laughs) that you would do well in that environment where you're like, I work hard. I would do the deliveries and the tasks right. I I don't think you have the rage. That's the problem. I think you have the organizational management potential. Like you could actually arrange the families and figure out different schemes. I have a lot of passion and I don't really know what else I would bring to the organization, but. You're the Tony. I'm the person who keeps Tony's notebooks and Google Docs in order. You used to say that about starting a cult. So I don't know if it's the same, but... I, I still say that. I think we can all move forward and just realize we're all on different journeys. We're all beautiful flowers. And to quote Tia Dolores, it's springtime. That means anything can happen. And I'll say this. Unlike Josefina, we actually have friends. <sighs> That's tough to sit with. I actually genuinely feel bad for Josefina, even though I'm about to say some tough stuff about her tonight, but... I I do too. You know, I get right into the summary, which I think we need to expand upon a lot because many things happen in this book without a lot of plot advancement. Does that make sense? This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Yes. So let me give you the straightforward and then we'll get into it a little bit more. Please do. Josefina is pleased and proud when her godmother, never knew she existed till this book, Tia Magdalena asks for her help with springtime chores. Tia Magdalena is a respected healer in the village, and when Josefina hopes to become a healer just like her someday. Then one day at Tia Magdalena's house, Josefina makes an awful mistake that shatters, that's a pun but you don't know that yet, her hopes. She's sure Tia Magdalena will never teach her now. But when Josefina visits her Pueblo Indian friend, Mariana, we'll deal with that, a terrifying adventure shows her just how much she's already learned. Here's here's my first issue. This is her birthday book. Why is there not even a mention of the birthday? That was really tough and confusing where... I can't wrap my head around what's going on in this book on many different levels, but it's like, why even have a birthday in this book? It's kind of just lobbed in in the in the end pages where Val was like, oh God, I never actually like had her birthday. Uh, okay. And then it's like, okay, she's awakened by the family singing a song and this is pre happy birthday to you. But it, would that be comforting or would that be terrifying if you woke up and your entire family sang kind of a random song to you? 
And then the dad was like, here's a rattlesnake skin for your memory box. We will talk about the song in depth later because I actually have a lot of insight into that. I went deep today. I asked informants who listened to the podcast and I did research on the internet. So we will talk about that. But this book has a lot of new people. We have the godmother, Magdalena. We have Mariana, who is not her friend. I'll just say that. She's a person she knows, right? She's like, I want to float this theory right now. Well, first, let me back up. If you turn to the portraits in this book, I have never seen portraits that look more like mugshots in my life. Like every single one of these people is kind of serving you a look that's like, yeah, I could have done it. (laughs) Tia Dolores, she's like, yeah, try me. Her look, the look on her face in this book is like, I dare you to accuse me of murder. I've covered all my tracks. Tia Magdalena is like, I'm a mystery. You have no idea what my deal is. Mariana is on a hair journey that I think is cruel from the illustrators. And I need to know if that haircut is historical. Allison's losing it. I just need to know. This is like not okay. This is child abuse. If this is not historical, it's child abuse. I'm just saying that. And I stick by that. She is not a suspect. Mariana, you are not a suspect. And you have been done majorly wrong in this book 50 different ways starting here. So poor Magdalena, or sorry, poor Mariana, who, who is described as Josefina's friend, they see each other once a year. Yeah. And they're not allowed to speak. So nope. essentially, Josefina's father is doing business dealings with her father. And collectively, they are talking about triangulating and trading with American people. And Josefina and her air quotes friend, Mariana, are not allowed to speak during the first like hour that these intense chats are happening. And then finally, she wiggles slightly and then they're allowed to play by the creek where this is what's being alluded to in the summary, Mariana is bit by a rattlesnake. I want to say this. So in that intense scene of the first hour where they're not allowed to speak, there's also this description of the trading between um, Esteban Esteban and Papa. And basically they kind of just like look at each other and there's coded language where it's like, thank you for bringing the wool blankets. Uh, yes, thank you for eventually bringing me sheep. And then they just sort of nod and it's like case closed, like the trade is complete. <laughs> so with that kind of like very vague vocal um, signaling, how do we not know that Mariana's friendship is not part of this trade? Wow. Wow. Where Papa's That's- like, wow, Mariana looks like she's would be a great friend. And Esteban's like, yep, she, she will be Josefina's friend. Is it's going it to cost co- you. It's not a coincidence because... In host, or sorry, in the Felicity books, her friendship is also transactional. Where they first meet in the store. I mean, it is kind of alarming to me that in both series we've read so far, there's basically friends that seem like they're part of a capitalist enterprise. I don't I love that. I don't love that, and I'm just gonna say this: like, if these girls are so aspirational, why does no one else show any interest in them? Well, you know, if you're Mariana, you might be worried about the fact that Josefina is going to get you caught up with a rattlesnake to prove, to manufacture a moment. Okay, let me back up. Another plot line in this book is that Tia Magdalena suddenly is on the scene. Now, Tia Magdalena is someone who has only existed in her imagination as this, quote, much older sister who lives in town. Remember that Papa goes in the last books when there's a storm? Yeah. And he's like, I have to check her roof. Like, oh, my God. And it's like, why is she not living with you? And, okay, we've never had that answered. But the, in this book, we discover that she's a healer. And 
basically Josefina has spotted some kind of herbs that she needs. So she's like, oh, you have young eyes. Like, go get me some of that stuff and come help me. And then maybe I'll teach you some things. And Josefina rolls up. Again, we've never heard this before. I want to be a healer. That's what she says to Tia Magdalena. Magdalena's like, it ain't you, babe. She's like, look, you need to, You her requirements are you need to know about herbs and then you must be a healer. So Josefina's like, how do I become a healer? And she's like, you have to be a healer. Yeah. She's kind of like, time will tell. I guess where I saw her enthusiasm is Josefina is given one opening to use a medicine that has literally just been handed to her in the previous scene and she uses it correctly and the aunt is like she's got the goods. No, because it's <laughs> she's got the goods. She <laughs> randomly gives her an antidote to rattlesnake bites because the father also was bitten by a rattlesnake when he was a child and he somehow still killed it and it was like this important moment for him so Josefina keeps it on her person then of course her like paid friend gets bitten by a rattlesnake because Josefina's stupid little goat (sighs) runs away and gets caught up by a rattlesnake and causes this whole situation but basically Josefina the father is very proud after the fact that Josefina has saved Mariana's life and tells the story and Magdalena's like Whew, you got the goods, girl. You got what it takes. And it's like being a healer in this book is a speech act. Like you just start to sort of pronounce yourself one. Like Josefina entirely manufactured the situation that would allow her to prove herself a healer. Like she led her friend out there. The little goat was not being attended to. A rattlesnake appeared. They could have just backed away and been like, it's on the goat to figure it out with the rattlesnake. You know who wouldn't think of her as a healer is Floresita. Oh, my God. I can't even talk about this. It's so upsetting to me. When I read this, I was like, Valerie Tripp, are you kidding me? Here's page nine. Just its own line. Floresita was dead. (laughs) Not good. So it's, again, it's a Bob Marley moment. Um, Yeah, that's his name, right? He was dead as a doornail. What? No, he's not Bob Marley. I'm thinking of a Christmas Carol. Who's the one that dies? Who's dead? It's Marley. Marley was dead already. Right? Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, Marley was dead. Bob Marley I was probably was elsewhere. dead to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> was his name also Bob, or is that just? I don't think that his name Reggae's Bob Marley. It's, it's Jacob, and I apologize. For you know that. what? <laughs> we'll we'll talk about Bob Marley some other episode. We hope so. Um, Floresita was dead already. That's the line it should be. Um, But here's the thing. So Floresita dies in childbirth. And I just want to kind of draw a contrast for a second. Val, we see you. We Mm -hmm. get it at this point. So in the Felicity books, there is Penny, right? And then her, her foal, who she gives birth to. In this book, we are treated to Floresita and sombrita and sombrita means shadow sombrita is the um goat that is being born in the process of forasita dying and i was like it's so obvious once you you know have finished middle school like obviously they both represent things to the characters the fact that josefina can't even catch a break that her pet is literally called shadow like darkness And Felicity, the white chick, gets to have all the fun of independence and liberty and joy. It's like, we see you. Yeah. I mean, all I can say is Floresita's life matters. 
I think so. I was kind of upset with how quickly she was killed off. And then in a 40-page arc, we're supposed to believe that Josefina is the world's greatest youth healer. It was weird. Like, there's so many, like, weird Doogie Hauser vibes around Josefina's healer life. But also... I kind of wondered if Valerie Tripp is not really influenced by the movie Beaches here and the line, it must have been cold for you there in my shadow or whatever that song is. Absolutely not. What do you mean? I just, I, I don't want that film invoked because we've talked- It must have talk- been cold here in my shadow. I've explained to you that I would care for a child in a you Beaches scenario and yep. that's about it. <laughs> That's the only way that you take on child rearing? Yeah, because that makes me Bette Midler. Okay. I mean, I can accept that. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, it's like, in a way, it's like, is that why this baby is named Shadow and the mom's dead? We didn't even know Floricita was pregnant. Like We didn't. There was no preparation. Like, Floricita has dropped out of this. And I hate to say this because it's like, guess what? Floricita is the most complicated female character in this entire series. Well, and can for once in her life, Josefina bond with someone who has a mother. Like, of course, her pet is motherless, right? Yeah. The previous book where she bonded with the weaver who's probably enslaved by her aunt. They bonded over both not having mothers. It's Oof. like maybe someone with a good maternal influence, <clears throat> where is Abuelita, would be good for She's her. dead. Here's the thing. Tia Dolores, how many, what is the body count as of right now? <laughs> The aunt in Mexico City, long dead. Abuelito, probably dead. Like we we thought this aunt, and we thought wrong. She's apparently here, but you know, I, who knows? Um, I'm also putting at her feet the hundreds of sheep that we lost. I'm adding that, and I'm adding Floricita. Of course, you think this? You think this was a natural passing? No. You think no. this was natural? Because here's what I have in my notes: page ten, Dolores sinister handwork okay i'm flipping to page 10 and here's what we see uh so papa is trying to tell josefina that she should not get attached to florecita's baby and take care of her because if she gets attached and then the baby dies it's going to be really painful which by the way this is a book for children like why are we even going here okay tia dolores put her arm around josefina's shoulder then, in a gesture so swift, Josefina thought she must have imagined it. Tia Dolores touched Papa's hand. Papa looked up at Tia Dolores, and Josefina saw that his eyes had a question in them. Tia Dolores nodded. She seemed to know what Papa had started to say, and she was encouraging him to say it, end quote. I threw my book down. Allison, it's all there. Allison's losing it. Allison, it's all here. I know. It's just when you read it that way... It couldn't be clearer that one, they are already a couple. Oh yeah. Oh that yeah. They have, that they have signals. That those signals mean that she is either ready or has just killed. <sighs> Here's what the long con of Tia Dolores is. This woman was probably living a lifestyle not to her station in Mexico City. And was like, you know what? Let me you know, as we learned in Peek into the Past, women are getting married at fifteen in this society. Tia Dolores is, you know, 15 is long in the rearview mirror for Tia Dolores. So she decides the only way forward for me is, you know, I'm going to kill my aunt, lure my dad down here. He will take me back 
to, you know, my sister's husband. I will infiltrate myself into the family. I will do so by taking over the family business in everything but name. I'll forge false but maybe real emotional connections with each of the daughters, give them weird gifts that are all about labor, and then at the moment when they least expect it, kill the family goat. Take yeah. it from there. So I'll also say this. I was doing some digging and, you know, reviewing various things. So Josefina's birthday being what it is, which is March 19th, this should put us squarely during Lent. Ooh. Because her birthday is the feast day of St. Joseph. And I was like, I don't see a lot of sacrifice. Ooh. What we do see is, you know, with Tia Dolores in the house, I don't know if this would have happened with the mom. Page 36, Josefina is reeling from making a tiny mistake, which is that she has knocked over a jar, a historic jar in the apothecaries. You know, this woman is related to her. It's fine. Josefina runs down the street internally screaming, shame, shame, shame. And I thought, like, what hair shirt did Val put on to write these books? These books are so wild. And honestly, it's so triggering for me. I almost can't make it through these books because I know they're made for 10-year-olds. But it's like Josefina running down the street thinking to herself at full volume, shame, 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 is like my internal monologue 24-7. So it's like, I don't need this in a 10-year-old. It's actually like, I know we're kidding and all things aside, but this is not a great message to put in these books. I actually have a huge problem with this because she includes this and then Tia Dolores comes up and is like, what's wrong? Like she's climbed a tree and comes down and buries herself in Tia Dolores's arms and is like weeping. And Tia Dolores is, she's like, is everyone mad? Did I ruin everything? And Tia Dolores is like, people are just disappointed. It's like, this is not good. This is not a good like resolution to this. If anything, she should say, um, look, everyone makes mistakes in life or like everyone has little accidents sometimes if you're not careful or whatever the situation is but if you are willing to own up to it immediately and make steps to clean it up then there's no no harm no foul and you can move on and you know life is going to throw challenges at you aka it already has your mom's dead but how you can respond to that you can respond to it in ways that are both healing for you and not harming and this is actually very I think harmful and Val did not offer any resolution that checked that behavior at least to me but I think this is what brings into sharp relief the contrast between Josefina and the immense white privilege of Felicity because if you compare two different instances right from roughly the same books in the arc if you think back to when Felicity and company are talking about like storming the magazine or being part of stopping the infiltration of the magazine from the English, like that's a very serious moment where she's involved like kind of in one level on hijinks and then like serious issues. You compare that to kind of a similar object because I think you're supposed to believe that's a Spanish apothecary jar, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And I say that partially because I went to a museum in Cuba and they had like 500 of those. They looked exactly the same. Oh, wow. It was the same kind of thing. And that wasn't a Cuba humble brag. I was just like, oh, I've literally seen that before. And it was kind of alluding to the fact that they were not from that area. They were this old thing that had been put there. She accidentally breaks this versus 
Felicity who has stolen things, which has a penalty of death. She has endangered the lives of enslaved people who could have also seen really serious consequences. Nothing happens other than her family like being a little disappointed. Josefina literally screaming shame down the street. And also there's a, another really weird parallel, which is that in both series, Val has imagined a scene where they both end up on a roof. Mm-hmm. And in Felicity's case, it's like the minute she gets on the roof to collect apples and the minute someone polices her, I think it's Nan, my true hero, Nan, who reports her, she's immediately yelled at and told to come down because that's not what a lady would do and it's dangerous. Whereas with Josefina, they're like, yeah, get on the roof, please. Like they need her to help. It's part of all the women coming together to repair the church in the summer. And you have to be like 10 or under, presumably to be light enough to not collapse the roof when you're up there like restuccoing. So every all, people's only concern is like, don't get that on your dress. But like, otherwise, this is what we're all doing. So the rules of the game are completely different. On that page, because that's literally 10 pages before the shame page, Josefina is actually having a moment of levity, which is really rare. And she says to herself, almost 10 is a wonderful age to be. And she's thinking this because she has some responsibility, which is the weaving, and she gets to care for the goat, who she cares about very much. But she's not really being admonished to come down or to stop kind of misbehaving. But think of how sad that that's like her hot moment, like getting to be like deep and dirty with mud at the community church. Felicity got to go to the best parties, had the best snacks, had a young boy toy to go around town with. True. Josephine is like, you know, I get to volunteer at church and I get to be deep in the mud on the roof. Like, I just want Val to want more for her. Yeah, me too. I want her to have some real joy that's not linked to some kind of responsibility or labor. And I realize that childhood was very different in the past at all different periods. And of course, the, the probably one through line is that there's more uh, drama and tragedy with, with mortality rates being what they are, but also more responsibilities for labor. And they laid that out in this book. But you have to imagine that, you know, we are given the sense that Josefina's family is pretty privileged for their all you know somewhat very limited community but even with that privilege she has no joy like there's no recreation no joy when it was felicity's birthday she was like knocking around in the rain with a like treasured family heirloom guitar (laughs) and was like oops i left it out in the rain because i was accidentally spying but that's i think that's what i'm getting at where there's more of a genuine spark of girlhood and resistance and joy that we get with felicity and i don't know if it was because this was a different enough context for the author and the team of people who contributed to this. But like we've talked about before, you don't feel that same level. I don't feel that same sense of like an actual child being an inspiration for this story. I don't either. And I wonder what kind of resources they had for childhood that we're not seeing in peak in the past because they're not really writing in any moments of levity, even as they talk about toys, actually, in the peak in the past of this book, like different toys that children would play with. We never see we never see Josefina playing with any of these toys like she has the doll and Mariana has the doll, but we don't see her play with the doll. We just see her no. carry it from place to place. And that is kind of weird, right? You don't you don't have a sense of an interesting interior life 
for Josefina, I don't think, other than the fact that she's, like, sensitive and very empathetic and cares a lot about other people. I think there's just kind of this, and I keep using the word spunky, but I think it's a word of the American Girl universe. There's this kind of cheekiness to the other girls that I think we probably found really attractive and whether you actually thought you were bad or you just had like cool overalls and vests vests were cool in a moment I still wear vests you can pull it off like you with the beret like there was something about this that made you feel like this trans historical connection to being a a kind of spunky girl that I don't feel with her yeah and I think like so much of her life is staged around this really harsh morality that I don't actually think I never read these books um, when I was a child I'm just reading them now for the first time so my relationship with Catholicism now is very different than when I was nine or ten years old so maybe I would have felt differently then but I don't think I would have read this and thought this is like the the life I want to escape into because this doesn't feel like an escape you actually just kind of feel the weight of her burdens And I just feel really sad for every time I read one of these books, even when crazy stuff is happening around her that's sort of making me laugh, like Val's choices and how, like, nuts Tia Dolores is. I end up just feeling sad for her. Like, that shame moment was really dark. And, you know, you just have to wonder if Val ever thought about that. And, like, what is her religious background? What is she bringing to this? And I'm not sure. You know, like, I just think, I mean, I don't want to get into, like, a bachelor bachelor recap, but... In the last episode, Luke P. and Hannah had this showdown about sin, and he was basically shaming her for taking a more sex-positive view to her life and relationships and also saying she could hold that and hold her faith in God and not consider them a, contra- a contradictory um, belief, whereas he thought he was majorly shaming her and being really inappropriate. But they kind of got into this conversation about sin, and I was just thinking, like, how much sin defined how I thought about things when I was a child and I sort of see that in these books and it you just have to wonder like what kind of impact that's had on Josefina and it's just really sad like I keep coming back to that shame moment it's just really dark it is dark because as much as Felicity could be obnoxious she was relatable in the sense that there were like lines that she was kind of testing and crossing but you didn't have a sense sometimes the stakes were not presented as high enough right like when she's kind of trying to get Isaac to do some of her bidding she has no real awareness of the stakes for him and yet there's so much fun in Felicity's life with the different kinds of things she pulls off I think having Josefina's story be so devoid of a community context is part of the problem. Like part of the joy and irritation of Felicity was watching her in the store. Um, You know, the busy bodies that would come in or watching her interact with her father or people coming through town and Ben especially. And the closest we get to any kind of relief is the sisters. Mm -hmm. Like, There's a Francisca line in this book on page five um, alluding to someone in the family who had, quote, loved parties. And I wrote in my notes like, oh, well, you're in the wrong family because that's over. (laughs) Well, it's also something else that really struck me was on page 10. So Floricita just died. Now she was another source of levity and good times. But um Josefina is is just starting to she just met the baby and she's trying to convince Papa to let her keep it and says 
the goat, like the baby, opened her eyes and Josefina had to smile because her yellow eyes looked just like Florecita's, but without the evil glint. And I know it's a small moment and it's probably meaningless, but it's just weird to me that she's projecting evil onto a goat. Like that she, her only range for reading emotions or other people's behavior is like good or evil and not sort of like mischievous or fun. Like Felicity was pulling scams on Annabelle and we were kind of laugh about that or call her out when it was too far. But at least she could kind of appreciate a fuller palette of emotions and behavior. Whereas Josefina is so locked into some kind of very strict morality with herself that is playing itself out in other people. And even the rattlesnake plotline I sort of felt was intense because not to get too like analytical of her behavior or her like from a psychological perspective, but it seems like she created a scenario where she had to protect the baby goat like a mother and living out this fantasy of motherhood, which she wants in her life. Yeah. It's just too much. There's a lot going on. There's too much. Well, it's all, it's all very biblical too, right? So, I mean, there's a scene where someone is tested, a snake is involved, right? Yeah. She has to make a difficult choice. I just kept thinking, you know, Floricita is not even in the ground. Yeah. Could we chill? She on wasn't the even cold when Josefina was like, no. she, at least she doesn't have her evil glint. And I'm like, Floricita's body is probably right there, still warm. And you're the only thing you could think about is her evil glint. What's wrong with you? So I want to share something that was shared with us. So a listener named Christina responded to one of our Josefina tweets. And she shared that when she was eight, Josefina came to life in one of my dreams and killed my family (gasps) with a tiny American girl axe, trademark, and a crime of passion. (sighs) Like that, of course, a water sign. So I'm just going to say, like, if you think we've taken it too far Try again, young, young Christina got this exactly. Whew. Yeah. Christina, you sound really cool. Um, I love that. That would have terrified me had I had that dream. I probably would not have recovered like at all. Well, she was responding to the story that we talked a bit about in the last episode, which was the bombshell drop of the true signs of the American girls. And so Courtney Perkins, who wrote the article, um, which was cross-posted on Vice Garage about these different signs, she pegged Josefina as a cancer. Mm-mm. So her actual birthday is March 19th, which makes her not a cancer. But I will say she summed up her personality beautifully, which is can be shy and quiet, loves animals and family, believes in respecting elders, knows that her grandmother has a lot to teach her not defiant or rebellious like parental stress inducing Kaya and Kit Um, learns how to be a healer from her grandmother it's her godmother but whatever Um, cancers have a natural instinct to care for others linking up with their interest and family wisdom that all tracks that does track that is correct so but by the same time I took another kind of look at something else which was according to your sign which girl are you and for Tauruses, they're supposed to feel affinity for Josefina. Why? So the Taurus being reliable, patient, practical, and devoted, they're supposed to feel a kinship. Josefina is patient, thoughtful, and kind. Just like a Taurus, Josefina is down-to-earth and sharp-witted. I would not say that. Appreciates hard work and understands the value that comes from it. Full of energy and never gives up. This is from a website called Odyssey Online. Hmm. Interesting. 
Are, are you ready for a kind of shocking reveal about her actual date of birth? Please, please take me there. So I spent a lot of time looking into what was happening in March 19th, 1815, and I will get into that. I first have to share with you the most shocking information to date, which is who shares her birthday. Uh-oh. Are you yes. ready? It's okay. So first I realized I was on a website for children because it was just YouTube stars. Like there was someone named Cupcake and I was like, I don't know who these are. Then I got on a real page of people who were born on this day. I'm going to throw out some names. I'm ready. Harvey Weinstein. No. Wyatt Earp. Why? Adolf Eichmann, nope. one of the architects nope. of the Holocaust. William Jennings Bryan. Nope. Pass. Bruce Willis. Pass. Delphine La Laurie, who was that serial killer from mm-hmm. New Orleans. No, thank you. And Sirhan Sirhan. Nope. So Good day. this is the esteemed crew. Are we sure this isn't Tia Dolores' birth- birthday? Because that would actually all make sense. Isn't it shocking? That's so, insane. The famous person she also shares a birthday with is St. Joseph, right? Yep. To, to the degree that that makes sense to you. Because that is her saint's day. That is the patron saint that she is born on. So San Jose, St. Joseph. But I'm reading this list and it's like a who's hill of prominent killers and weirdos. You know, maybe it's just a prophecy. Like maybe a young Josefina cracks under this pressure and then Tia Dolores, you know, pulls her for like a side combo one day and is like, hey, I know you're having a hard time. I see that you're frustrated. I know it's going to help you put your life back on track. This is what I did. But what does it mean that she shares a birthday with Sirhan Sirhan? I don't like that. Like, is she, is she the girl in the polka dot dress? Probably. Wouldn't shock me. It just doesn't feel coincidental that the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy happened in California. You know, I'm willing to connect those dots, and thank you for inviting me to do so. You're welcome. Um, I was just looking at the list, and it was like, this can't get more shocking. I'm afraid to look up my birth date on that website because I feel like there's just going to be information I don't want to know. The other thing that I found, which was kind of interesting, actually, um, the day after her birth, like the actual day, would have been the start of the 100 days, which was the period between Napoleon coming back from exile and the restoration of a new king. It was like all of this energy just feels like we're building up to her being a megalomaniac, like either a dictator or someone who kills a dictator yep. or a world ruler. 100%. Yep. I don't think there's any other place for her energy to go. Like, I just, I no. actually think Francisca's a better candidate for that. Like, I think she actually has the mood that you would need to pull that all off. But I don't know. I mean, I want yes. that for Josefina, but... I guess I wanted better because I felt like the choosing of the date for... Felicity's birthday was so kind of cleverly timed with stuff related to the Stamp Act and then that magazine event happening in Virginia. I think this kind of goes back to there's a lack of events in this book. There's a lack of historical arc. You know, I was really scraping bottom of the barrel where I was like, well, her birthday is around the time of the Erie Canal being finished. (laughs) Well, even like the Mexican independence movement happens just a few years before this book. We have had no mention of that in any of these books. So it really kind of is, 
you know, like we studied American history, you read people's diaries around different periods of time. And if you go into it with big like flagship moments around someone's life, you're waiting for them to know to, you know, make reference to this, like the one event, you know, that happened in the years that you're reading about. But there's all these constant examples where someone will say, you know, hey, you were alive during the American Revolution. What was that like? And somebody's like, I don't know, like, it was a war, whatever, (laughs) I did other stuff. So it kind of probably tracks in some ways that Josefina's world is so localized to her community and she doesn't have this greater awareness. But it's weird then for Valerie Tripp to impose that kind of limitation on a book that I think is self-consciously meant to be part of a series that gives girls greater context of different histories. Like, it's really cool that we get this kind of broader Mexican history as part of American Girl, but it's kind of a history, it's kind of a, like, insert nationality here girl because it's sort of outside time like I don't know what to make of it well I also noticed because we're reading these closely and tight together there's a literal copy and paste of a previous line so when the father is meeting with Esteban he says I hope trading with the Americanos will be a good thing he literally said that already in a previous book yeah where it's like this isn't subtle we get it I also know that that's part of the plot of the next book but I think to your bigger point there's a sufficient amount of things happening between 1815 and 1825 that have to do specifically with Mexican claims for independence where that could be brought up right yeah and it's not you know what I mean like it's just weird even the objects that we get in the in the books when you think about books themselves and the fact that literacy was introduced as a theme in an earlier book Something where I think you can see Mexican nation, like nationalism and American nationalism being worked out is in books themselves that Mexican um, printers were print were the Mexican printing industry was started by the Spanish, but they were printing indigenous language books from the beginning. So you have this kind of confluence of stuff where it's like, well, what does Mexican nationality even look like when it's these cultures coming together? So even if their world is like very small and it's within their home, they could have objects in the home that kind of bring these things together or introduce you to these clashes. But even going to the Pueblo, her Pueblo friend who may or may not be paid to be her friend, there's really no signaling that she has any awareness or consciousness that their culture is very different from her own. It's just sort of like their differences are completely flattened using the language of friendship and I think there's something lost in that where there could be some kind of moment where she has to acknowledge a difference and we just don't see that. And maybe it's in the form of, can you explain your haircut for me, please? <sighs> oh my God. I'm looking at that again. And it's just, it's, it's like, you know, Karen Carpenter early years. Yes. It's that. It's like bowl cut, but then long in the back. You know, I wasn't going to get into this, but for the sake of the show, so Saturday is my Monday. Like that's when my work week starts. Mm-hmm. And so last Saturday, I was like really feeling rainy days and Mondays. And then it was actually a rainy day several days in a row. And I was like, I don't know if this is the best or worst way to start my day. Like pulling into the parking lot at work. And on YouTube, you just can't get the volume high enough on Karen because it's people who don't know the tech uploading it, which is devastating. But it's like, I turn that all the way up. you have to. And the thing is, you kind of need warning for when you're going to have a Karen encounter because 
This actually happened to me this week. I always put Spotify on shuffle when I go in the shower, which is sort of like Russian roulette because I never know what I'm going to get. I was in the shower, literally could not get out, and for all we know, started playing. And I was like, not today. Literally start crying in the shower. I was like, what is wrong with me? And it's just, you know, gone too soon. Like, I'm about to turn 33. Like, I think I'm about to turn older than Karen ever, you know, lived. And just a tough thought, tough thought to think about. You've heard my theory that I I have yet to meet a person who is hot between 9 and 13 who's also funny. Yeah, that's true. I know it's true. Like, prove me wrong. I I would love to be proved wrong. But someone like Karen someone like Adele they have felt things that certain kinds of pop stars will never feel because of the way the world treats them yep I'm adding Kelly Clarkson to that list and Lizzo yes yes I think if Josefina took a DNA test it would be a hundred percent (laughs) sad it's so true is it true? It's, that's devastating, Allison. I can't believe you made me think about that. <laughs> it's so true. I mean... If you, if you read the Be Forever books, which I have dipped into, there is a whole scene with Josefina and flute playing. So wow. I think there's a world in which she and Lizzo could get along. I think they I'll wouldn't, they but I think Lizzo would need to get in a time machine and just like throw Josefina in a room and be like, let me give you some lectures in the form of like a flute solo, spoken word, rap and singing and just like be quiet. Do not respond to me. Okay, here's a dream. So the president during Josefina's 10th birthday is John Quincy Adams. Here's a dream because you know he hated women singing. You taught me That's that. True. He's sitting and there's a time machine and Lizzo appears and she just says to him, why men great till they gotta be great and leaves. <laughs> I would love that. His brain He's like, does that mean I won't win re-election? It's like, no girl, you won't. No. You didn't even win birthday. your first election. No girl. Her birthday was a few months before the famous Jefferson other Adam's death. And I was like, if she had only known. Oh man. So can I read something quickly that I found kind of egregious? Please. It's quick. So I'm trying to grapple with what the Be Forever books really are. And I don't mean this sarcastically. I don't understand them because they basically pull bits from the previously published books and then add to them. But something they have is um, they call it inside Josefina's world as opposed to a peek into the past. And it's kind of like a two-page sum up of what life was like around the time of her life. So they do this kind of interesting thing where they give a vague description of the fight for independence around 1821, the flood of American goods. And then I want to get to the part where they describe how her life might have changed. So the flood of American goods began to affect the way New Mexicans dressed, did their clothes, and decorated their homes. By the time Josefina was a mother, she might have had glass windows, wallpaper, and some American furniture. By the time she was a grandmother, she might have given up practical New Mexican-style clothes and started to wear corsets, hoop skirts, and bonnets. That paragraph is doing so much work, I kind of don't even know where to begin. That's a lot to take in. There's there's similar work to what happens in the back of the older books. You know, there's a line, 
In December 1845, the U.S. government tried to buy Mexico's northern lands. When they refused to sell, the U.S. declared war. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly how that went. So it kind of sums up with saying New Mexicans learned to take part in American life and they worked to hold on to their culture. I think the strangeness is because, first of all, Josefina is not a real person. And so I don't like that she's being brought into this because that's very different from how they handle things in a peek into the past. Just the casualness of by the time Josefina was a mother, what does that mean? That's crazy. She's not a real person. Yeah. This did not happen. And like, let's no. not play that game right now because she probably became a mom at like 16. And it's like. <laughs> so that's 1830. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Roughly. You know what I mean? It's like you could play that game about everything and being like, well, she's probably a mom by 1830. So she probably knew about, you know, the development of the steamboat. And it's like, what? Like, you know, like people just like pulling dates out of their hat. Like, you know, if I was alive, it's kind of like saying I'm alive in 2019. Therefore, I must be of like responsible for everything happening in 2019. There's no possible way. I also think it's kind of a disappointing take on it because I think what would be more interesting would be a really differently written sentence with a lot of conjecture of like maybe her life would have changed radically in this way or this way like perhaps with the fever of the 1848ers all coming to California you know that would have been for her midlife or a little bit later in her life like that would be a more interesting phrasing I don't know where the reluctance would come in about being more honest about U.S. imperialism in the American West when those books are only 10 years old. Like, that does surprise me. It's weird. I mean, I don't like when people make arguments about fictional characters as if we can predict how their lives would have evolved in history. That's just a really strange thought exercise. Well, I mean, it's fine for us to say that she would become a Pinkerton because that's really different. I mean, when we do it, it's entirely different. That's a different situation. But also, we're not speaking to children who are reading this to grasp something about the period. Right. I I hope not. Yeah, if there's any kids listening, please just call it a day. (laughs) You know, there's just going to be a lot for you to not understand, and that's Mm -hmm. okay. I've been finding in a way that's really different and kind of interesting, people don't review these books. Why? So I'm finding like the usual assortment of people talking about like the physical book that they receive in the mail Mm. and happiness or disappointment about that. Other than a brave soul who wrote a two paragraph review just about a month ago, um, her name is Savina. Most people really have very little to say about this other than that it's interesting for them to learn Spanish. Or as one person said, this is Joelle. Josefina gets involved in interesting situations and I'm kind of inclined to disagree yeah she's not like I I'm kind of frustrated with these books in a very different way than Felicity where I was frustrated with Felicity because she was not who I remembered her to be and I had to adjust and then I was just like moving through these books really frustrated by really the politics of the 1990s that were jumping out of those plot lines and creating some really uh uncomfortable moments and also Felicity was just frustrating because she was kind of a brat at times with Josefina it's frustrating because it's just kind of boring and I feel sad for her but 10 year old girls are supposed to be frustrating because you're going through so many 
hormonal and physical and mental and emotional changes at the same time. And I think by the end, Felicity had either worn us down or we got <laughs> used to her. Yeah. And I think now all we want is like hijinks and joy for her. Right. I want to see Josefina do something irresponsible. I want her to be impulsive. And instead, she's just kind of very dutifully moving through these spaces and within her family doing everything that's expected. And I think it's very earnest and maybe it's comforting to her during this very tender time in her life, but it makes it... It makes it tough to read, except for this whole like Tia Dolores mess that's like dancing through this books. Kind of the book within the book is more interesting. (laughs) And the book, by the way, tantalizingly ends with Papa, like Papa, like making a a reference to Tia Dolores where it's like, oh, like Papa, she said, uh, we're all given second chances. We just have to be brave enough to take them. That's what Tia Dolores says. Does she? Asked Papa. Does she indeed? So it's like, okay, dad, Dad, you guys are already together. Stop playing games. I think they're definitely together. That's why the oldest sister is never around anymore. She's ghosted her own family, including her dad. The grandfather is MIA or KIA. Hard to say. (sighs) Anna's basically like, uh, yeah, you know, I hope Tia Dolores is as good a stepmom as mom, but without the evil glint in her eye floricita style that is interesting i i i don't feel confident that she's gonna be the stepmom that josefina deserves i'll say Mm -hmm. that now i want to make sure we talk about just one more thing because it was something i hadn't really heard of um so when i was a kid your birthday started with someone putting butter on your nose that was how we started so i'm just sorry excuse me what I don't, I don't know what that's about, but that's something that we would do. So Wait a I'm second. No, no, no. It. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. I might yeah. be having a stroke. I don't know if I'm hearing you correctly. Someone would put butter on your nose. Yeah, that's how you would wake up on your birthday to the butter. Are we ta- or Martin. Hold on a second. Are you talking like someone would take a tablespoon of butter and just put that on your nose while you were asleep? Yeah, so they would, um, like, put it on their finger and then, like, put it on your nose and it would wake you up, obviously, and it would be like, happy birthday. I don't know why. And you... Because <laughs> I, I never thought You never asked, like, hey, mom, dad, like, what's up with the butter? I mean, Josefina has never asked if there's a world in which, like, she can escape Catholicism. So, no, like, we're all prisoners of... of our parents' beliefs. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, Mom, toast a bagel. Why don't you bring... It, like, is there a toasted bagel that comes with the butter? Or is it just... There's just butter. So, supposedly, this is a Canadian tradition, which I absolutely reject because my family is not Canadian at all. Um, oh, it's also something in Appalachia. No. Um... It, it's it's a tradition for a lot of different people, I guess. I don't know. Getting your nose buttered. So I said that just to be in the context of, you know, like everyone has stuff. But her birthday, you're making a I just am in shock. Birthday. Sorry, I'm, t- I'm taking this all in. So her birthday starts with a morning song. That's actually really beautiful, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I'm concerned about her pronunciation because i know the word manana means tomorrow um but i believe that the way this is pronounced is uh manianitas does that sound right the morning song that is sung to her 
So I actually reached out to a friend and listener named Bridget who does check out the show. Um, And her family is from this part of the country. And I asked if this was familiar to her at all. And she said, oh, my gosh, yes, of course, this is sung to you. Um, It's a special song connected to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it's usually done on your birthday. And in certain cultures, it's especially done on a 15th birthday. But it's kind of a song about how, like, you're special, you're beautiful, you're this important person. Mm. And you can check out performances online. And I'd run a few different things. And she said, like, oh, and in her family, like, it's all about, like, um, having it be to maracas. Like, people have different different connections or mariachi. So I thought that was interesting. That's really cool. That was not yeah. in my quinceanera play. So that tradition passed me by. No, it wasn't. And so to quote her directly, you should listen to a mariachi version if you haven't already. Wow, excellent. So, I will definitely do that. I thought it was um, just kind of a one-off thing. I was like, oh, maybe she'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe not. Um, but to quote her again, it makes happy birthday sound like trash. <laughs> Fair. So, not hard, but yeah. So no one that I was able to find had a precise date of when that started. It's considered a folk song, much like happy birthday probably a folk song possibly attributed to two women from the 1890s but definitely goes back to a bit earlier than that so we learned something excellent well i think we've said all we can say about this book i mean she barely got a birthday she deserves more i'm sad she didn't even get a birthday day never mind a birthday week never mind a birthday month she absolutely didn't but she also isn't a leo so wow that the next time that we record, we'll be deep into Leo season and your birthday. Thank God. Thank Yeah. It'll God. be a lot happier than Josefina's and frankly, a lot happier than Sombrita's. Also her mother's death day. As we just to leave you all with this, Floricita is dead. She is. She was dead already. The most tragic sentence ever written by one Valerie Tripp. Now, if you have a Floricita tattoo or something else pressing that you need to show Mary, how can people find you online? Okay, so find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney and at Twitter at Mary Mahoney 123. Now, if you want to drop us a line, you can find us on Instagram. There we are at American Girls Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at a girl's pod and you can send us an email at american girls pod at gmail and where can people find you they can find me at allison horrocks and that is my handle on both instagram and on twitter we love to hear from you everywhere and thanks to everyone who's been writing reviews on itunes uh, it's very sweet of you and it really does help people find our show so if you can take a minute and do that we'd really appreciate it and also just share it with a friend that'd be wonderful That's a huge help. Thank you again. And if it's your birthday, happy birthday. Yes, indeed. Happy birthday, Winnie and Jordan.
That's a huge help. Thank you again. And if it's your birthday, happy birthday. Very nice. I know I've been into 